Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. What role does Catholic higher education play in the formation of future healthcare professionals? Today's guest, Dr. Tony Eretz, offers some unique perspectives on this question. Dr. Eretz is the president of the University of Providence in Great Falls, Montana, a wholly owned ministry of Providence St. Joseph Health. In this podcast, Dr. Eretz begins by speaking to the importance of mission formation in education and how this formation is implemented in his institution's healthcare curriculum. He then speaks about Catholic identity, describing the many challenges it faces in higher education today, as well as how the University of Providence seeks to foster it in its health science students. He concludes by explaining the benefit of forming healthcare professionals in the Catholic intellectual tradition. Hello, Tony. Welcome to our podcast today. Thank you. Glad to be here, Joe. I was wondering if you, we could start by having you tell our audience a little bit about your background, specifically your education and your work. Okay, my education actually is a little unique. I started off as a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and spent most of my uh, first 20 plus years in the Air Force. But what was unique about it is all, most of those years were as a professor at the United States Air Force Academy. So I've pretty much been in higher education my whole life. But when I uh, decided to retire from the Air Force, um, my goal was to get into Catholic higher education. The Air Force gave me a chance to do an ACE fellowship at Regis University in Denver. And really, um, being a cradle Catholic, really embraced the Catholic higher ed mission. So when I retired, I looked for a job and ended up as a vice president for academic affairs at Christian Brothers University in Memphis, Tennessee, and spent wonderful four years there getting my feet on the ground as a civilian, as I say, my first civilian job. And and then from there, I was selected as the president of Mount St. Joseph University in Cincinnati, Ohio, and spent seven great years there trying to help a, a smaller Catholic institution be successful in the long run. And then now I've been here as president of the University of Providence for two years. Uh, so a lot of my career has been in the sort of the administrative side, uh, even though I started off as a professor to get promoted in the Air Force, you have to move into administration. So that shift sort of happened earlier than maybe typically for a professor, but the Air Force did sponsor me my actually PhDs in engineering psychology, which is a blend of engineering and system design and cognitive psychology. So you can design systems to be compatible with human behavior. And my expertise was a fighter cockpits uh, in the Air Force. So I really enjoyed that work and miss it. But now I'm uh, doing bigger and better things for Catholic higher education. I love what I'm doing. Just, uh, just wondering, what uh, what rank did you retire with from the Air Force? I retired as a lieutenant colonel, uh, mainly, you know, I probably could have gone higher if I'd done things outside of higher ed, but because I spent uh, pretty much my entire career affiliated with the Air Force Academy, you sort of max out at lieutenant colonel, uh, because to become a full colonel, you have to go out and do some type of command or be a squadron commander or something like that, a unit commander. And I just, I loved education so much that I saw that sort of as a a corollary to the main objectives that I was trying to do. And that really, you know, even though the Air Force is a great career, I knew eventually they force you to retire because of their up or out promotion system. So I knew I was going to stay in higher ed and I wanted to work in Catholic higher ed. So those last few years, you're doing things you need to do to prepare yourself for the transition. And fortunately, it worked out for me. And I've uh, 
achieved pretty much most I wanted to achieve about post Air Force career. All right. So now you are the president of the University of Providence. So could you tell yes. us a little bit about the, the history of the institution, particularly its close ties to healthcare? Yeah, it's an interesting history. Actually, up until last year, we were known as the University of Great Falls. And we were founded as the College of Great Falls by the Sisters of Providence out of Montreal, Canada, a French order of women religious who had come to the Pacific Northwest Territories prior to this part of the country even being part of the United States. They were invited by local bishops to establish schools, hospitals, orphanages, and, and the such that many re women religious in the United States did. And they came to Great Falls to establish a hospital and um, in an orphanage, and they joined with the Ursuline Sisters at the time to create the first women's college in the area, mainly to uh, produce teachers for their schools and nurses for their hospitals. So that, that's how we got our start. Very quickly after the founding, the sisters, uh, uh, the Ursuline sisters left to pursue other things, and the Sisters of Providence took over, over the leadership and led it up through uh, the late 70s. And as most Catholic institutions with declining religious, uh, a lay board took over, and, and now it's uh, run by a... Um, a lay board, uh, and we have no Sisters of Providence on campus anymore. It's a very similar story to a lot of Catholic universities. But so their, their, their start was in healthcare uh, from day one with our nursing program, and we continue to focus on nursing as part of our strategy and our growth. And, uh, and we are part of the Providence St. Joseph Health Care System, uh, mainly because we were founded by the Sisters of Providence and a lot of the hospitals in that system. So when the Sisters of Providence turned over the ownership of their corporation to a lay board when it became a public juridic person, we moved over from reporting up to the mother house in Montreal to reporting up through the uh, the system and became a ministry of the Providence St. Joseph Healthcare System. So what's, what's the relationship today between the University of Providence and the Providence St. Joseph Healthcare System? We're actually, uh, uh, legally, we're part of the corporation. So our fiduciary board is the Providence System Board, and we have a local governing board uh, for academic and other matters here on campus. But we are part, we are a ministry, and, and we are receiving funding from them to help to do some of the things that we're trying to do, and all our financials report up through them. So our, our primary purpose is to serve, you know, their mission and our mission as a, as a Catholic healthcare slash educational ministry, which is uh, been the, the source of the Sisters of Providence charism from day one, uh, but we are the only university that's that's part of the healthcare system. And as far as we know, we think we're the only full-fledged liberal arts university that's part of a healthcare system. Uh, a lot of healthcare systems have health sciences colleges, allied health programs, but not full-fledged liberal arts universities. So that seems to be a little neat, unique on the higher ed landscape. Although there are other healthcare systems that have colleges and such. Um, but that seems to be somewhat unique. There may be a couple out there that we're not familiar with, but, but out west, we're the only one. Does the Providence St. Joseph healthcare system, um, I, I guess the question is what level of governance do they exercise vis-a-vis -vis you, or do they kind of leave you alone to do the, to do the educational work that you have the expertise for? Yeah, they, they pretty much leave us alone to do the academic side of the work. Our main interaction is over financial matters. Obviously, our finances roll up into their finances, and we do get some capital funding from them and some other things. So 
the main relationship with the system is a financial relationship, formal relationship. The informal, we do work with obviously the uh, the human resources folks within the system to help them understand what their workforce needs are uh, down the road so we can be developing programs to help them meet their, their needs down the road in terms of having the uh, workforce they need to provide the care they need to provide the people who need it. Providence recently opened the School of Health Professions. And so the question is, why was this School of Health Professions opened and what specific programs does it offer? Yeah, it, it, it was a it was a very intentional strategic move. And uh, when I was hired as president two years ago, the, the the system had decided that we own a university, and we want to invest in the university because they had done some long range workforce projections, initially focusing on nursing. And for example, just to give you the scale of Providence St. Joseph Health, they're the third largest nonprofit healthcare system in the country with annual revenues of 23 billion and a workforce of over 115,000 employees. Of those, over 40,000 of them are nurses, just nurses as, as part of the healthcare system. And projections indicate that they're going to have to replace upwards of 25% of those nurses over the next five to 10 years. And if they hired every college graduate on the West Coast, they still wouldn't fill that void. So they knew they were going to have to sue some different, do some different things to train their future nursing workforce. And we have been working with them for about a decade with an online RN to BSN degree completion program, which has been very successful. We have over 700 graduates of that program. And they said, if we can do that in helping our current nurses get their BSNs, we can partner with the university to educate more new nurses. So that's really where the focus of this started. But since we've created the new School of Health Professions, actually we have pretty ambitious goals over the next decade to actually grow to an enrollment we're hoping that would exceed 10,000 students. So we're we're talking a pretty significant undertaking with a huge laundry list of new programs that are in the queue for development. How do you view the role of the University of Providence in educating, and I would add forming, healthcare professionals, particularly in light of the fact that the university is a Catholic institution. Exactly. And and, and Providence St. Joseph Health obviously is a Catholic healthcare organization, so they're responsible through a sponsorship board, uh, the public juridic pers person, to the Vatican. And so they, they are very seriously discern their Catholic identity in a lot of things. And actually the Catholic principles uh, pervade the entire healthcare system. Uh, there's a strong emphasis on mission, employee formation for caring of others, and so it's embedded in the culture uh, of, of the entire uh, system, and we're part of that system. So mission formation of caregivers, as, as they're referred to in Providence St. Joseph Health, is a priority of the system. So almost everybody within Providence uh, St. Joseph Health gets some type of mission formation experience around the mission of the healthcare system, Catholic ethical principles, and caring for, for other people. So when we build uh, academic programs to serve their workforce needs, the two advantages that we offer is we can embed mission formation components, meaning the history of the Sisters of Providence, Sisters of St. Joseph, and everything that came together to sort of create Providence St. Joseph Health over the years, but also we can embed the Catholic intellectual tradition and Catholic ethical principles throughout the curriculum. 
Uh, not only do we have specific courses that focus on ethics and ethical formation, but also it's embedded in, in every course that we create. And we can custom design, since we have one primary customer in Providence St. Joseph Health, we can custom design our curriculum to serve those mission-focused needs, not in addition to the clinical and intellectual skills that, that the students need to develop. Was this focus in place before you came? to the University of Providence, or is this something that you have uh, instilled or tried to instill in your time there? It was in place, actually, the RN to BSN program I mentioned er earlier has a course in, in nursing ethics uh, that was developed intentionally originally by actually a sister of Providence theologian that was on our faculty at the time and the other nurse practitioners and other people that were involved in designing that program. So. It's been a focus from day one because uh, I think what has changed is the realization that in today's environment with technology advances in healthcare, the, the countercultural uh, forces that are out there that a focus on Catholic tradition and Catholic ethical principles is becoming even more important. So I would say maybe we're even be more intentional about it, but it's been there from day one. Your response leads me right into uh, the next question. You tee it up very nicely. Talk to us about the state of Catholic identity in higher education today. Uh, obviously, anybody who's been following the, the story of Catholic identity and Catholic higher education, it's a diverse, convoluted, and I think a, a challenging story. Um, the, the, one, I, the joke on the street is that one way to know that you're a Catholic institution is that you're talking about Catholic identity uh, because it, there is no black and white answer to that question. How it plays out with an individual institution is, is a diverse landscape. But obviously it's, it's, it's uh, becoming an important topic because the Catholic tradition, as, you know, as everyone knows, is, is countercultural. So it, it teaches things that go against some of the, the trends that are occurring in society, So which create interesting, but at the same time, somewhat difficult conversations to have in today's political climate. And I think that plays out differently on different campuses. You got, we have some campuses in the United States that are almost, I would say, a quasi-seminary type environment to Catholic institutions that some would consider don't even honor or respect their Catholic identity, but yet still call themselves Catholic. And then a lot of in-between. Uh, but I think what people are coming to realize uh, that there's a, a big difference between catechesis and education. And, you know, the goal, in my view, the goal of the Catholic institution is not necessarily catechesis, meaning a convergence of, of thinking about Catholic identity. Education is a divergent process where you want to expand people's minds and, and their wisdom in terms of dealing with the issues that they have to deal with in today's society. But at the same time, you include a catechesis component because you have to represent teach, church teachings in an authentic and truthful way. But we're dealing in a world where these issues are becoming even more difficult and, and complicated for people to deal with. And to, so to me, the education, a, a, a respectful, truthful um, Catholic education that, that does authentically represent Catholic teachings, I think, is becoming more critical in higher education today. And I think a lot of people are realizing that with an increased and focus on Catholic ethical principles and curriculum, as you see, that's occurring on a lot of campuses, Catholic social teachings, social justice. There, there's a lot happening on a lot of co college campuses that are really, I think, strengthening. It's a long journey, 
because I think a lot of institutions lost their way. Uh, but I think uh, a lot of institutions are seriously examining their Catholic identity in a way that works for them and their history, their charisms, and the way that that plays out on their campus. I'd like to pick up on, on something that you mentioned, that, you know, that there are schools that have kind of lost their way. And from your perspective, why did that happen? Why, why, are, why, is there, why are Catholic, uh, Catholic colleges facing such challenges, particularly in terms of their identity today? That's a complex answer, and, and, and uh, to try to make it simple the way I look at it, I think there are forces in society that go against uh, being really truthful and bold about your Catholic identity. At a basic level, it comes down to marketing. We, we live in a society right now that's not necessarily receptive to the Catholic message. In fact, you know, if you look at recent data, there's an increasing number of people that call themselves nuns or, or people who don't claim any religion. And, and because of the, the founding of our country that respects individual autonomy, there, there's not a lot of cultural support for, I would say, collective wisdom or collective uh, guidelines that we impose on others and how to help them lead their life. So the Catholic Church obviously is countercultural in that respect, but institutions at the bottom line is they have to they have to make money, and they have to have students in, in their universities. And I think in an effort to sell the university, sometimes just to survive, the Catholic message gets softened in, in the market. And, and every Catholic institution I think struggles with how do you market the Catholic identity out there in a way that helps you grow and roll up at the same time honor your Catholic tradition? It, it's, a, it's a difficult question to answer. But the other thing, I, you know, I'm, I wasn't around during the times, but what I read about the Catholic history of Catholic higher education in this country, there was a movement in the 50s, because uh, Catholic Catholicism in the U.S. used to be sort of like a ghetto religion is a word I've heard describe Catholicism in, in the early part of the last century, that Catholics were somewhat isolated. They lived in their own world. Um, and there was this effort for, for Catholics after the Second World War to break out. And uh, a lot of Catholic institutions at the time were trying to, because what I read is Catholic institutions weren't respected in the same way as a lot of secular institutions. So there was this desire to be equal with other secular institutions. And I think the pursuit of reputation and and being recognized as a full-fledged university drove a lot of universities to compromise their Catholic identity along the way in the ways that looking back on it now historically may have not have been the best decisions at the time. Yeah, I'm thinking the Land O'Lake statement and, and things of that type. Yeah, the Land O'Lake statement, I think, was the, actually the culmination of a lot of those things that were happening in the 50s and uh, early 60s, I think, uh, where so several Catholic institutions got together to sort of make a statement of independence from the church that would allow them to pursue that, that journey of becoming a respected uh, institution in the higher education landscape. And, uh, and, and obviously there was... Um, when reading the historical documents, there was a tension at the time between the magisterium and the Catholic universities, and and some described the Land O'Lake statement as sort of the Catholic higher eds, at least the groups that were involved, their declaration of independence from the magisterium. And and so I think we're still struggling with what that means and how that plays out over time, because ultimately we're still responsible to our local bishop for our, for our Catholic identity. So you can't separate Catholic institutions from the Catholic Church. 
ultimately, because the ecclesial authority comes through the church, and we are part of the church. But yet there are a lot of pressures that institutions feel in order to keep the doors open and the bills paid that they, they've got to act in a way that attracts students. And right now, that isn't necessarily the Catholic message. But I, the, to me, I think the answer lies in really focusing on the ethical and moral formation, you know, helping really delivering in a respectful and honest way the, the liberal arts tradition of the Catholic intellectual tradition and requiring courses in theology and philosophy that ask those big questions that help students deal with and, and develop a meaningful philosophy of life along with the career readiness education that they need that would lead to a, a good career. Speak to you started talking about these, but speak to some of the challenges and some of the responses that you, as an administrator, I mean, you as a Catholic uh, university prof uh, well, professor, president, how do you respond to these challenges that you've identified? How how do you make identity a you know at the foremost uh, of the educational uh, experience of students at your institution? Yeah, it's. Uh... Those are some of the most difficult decisions I think the president of a Catholic university is asked to weigh in on. Uh, what I've learned over the years is you never make decisions in isolation. Uh, you make them with your board of trustees. You make them with the bishop. You know, everybody, if it's a big question, everybody needs to be involved in, in forming the answer. But obviously, uh, there are certain, my, the way I view it, my fundamental principle is goal is not to bring scandal to us or the church. Um, and there's, you know, in public ways you can do that, but I draw a big distinction between what happens in a classroom and what a Catholic university does on the public stage. Um, you know, there's a lot more academic freedom in a classroom environment than there would be in a public forum, per se. And then whatever you do, even if you want to engage in a, maybe a controversial debate or ask, invite a controversial speaker, Authentic Catholic teaching has to be present and part of the conversation. But I do think education has a responsibility. Our students aren't going to live in nice, clean environments, so they need to be exposed to those forces and those things that are happening out in the real world so when they get out there, they can reason through situations in a way that they understand the full context, but they also understand the basic moral and ethical principles they're going to have to use in making decisions. So it, 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 it's, but it's a challenge. Uh, you know, I, I always, you know, we haven't had any issues that I, I've dealt with directly where I said have really reached, you know, a point where things might uh, go down the, a bad path. But uh, I've always kept in, you know, constant communication with the local bishop, actually for the University of Providence. The local bishop has an ex officio seat on our board of trustees. So he's always in the loop on what's going on on campus. And everything, but obviously there's things you don't want to do uh, that'll bring scandal to the local church. Uh, we have enough challenges, I think, as a church without uh, the local Catholic university adding to those challenges when we're trying to, you know, be authentically Catholic and lift up the church. How has that been received on the campus from a faculty perspective and from a student perspective? I think that answer plays out in a different way on every campus. I've now worked on three Catholic campuses, and they've all had unique histories and unique situations where I think depending on where you show up as an administrator, you have to honor what has happened in the past, but also you have to plan for what lies ahead in the future. So for someone new to campus, you, it takes a while to understand what's happening on the campus currently in terms of Catholic identity. 
I came to the University of Providence and and I think there wasn't an intentionality about our Catholic identity. It wasn't really uh, it wasn't a priority, but it wasn't uh, you know there wasn't any effort to de-emphasize it or ignore it either. So when I've come, what I have found is that people knew we were Catholic, but they didn't know what that meant. What does it mean for a Catholic university to be Catholic? So we've uh, engaged in launching some employee formation programs that are specifically addressing those mission-related questions. Uh, we started that conversation, actually I showed up because of what I just described. Our core curriculum at the time wasn't what I would describe a, a very strong in the Catholic intellectual tradition. So I challenged the faculty and they hadn't looked at the core curriculum for a while. And I said, it's probably a good time to sit back, look at the core curriculum. And I'll tell you what, I was very impressed with the nature of the process the faculty created, the conversations they had. And where they ended up is reinstituting a requirement that had been in the history of the institution for two theology and two philosophy courses and a capstone course that deals with the question of what is truth. So they've reinvigorated a, a very strong component of the Catholic intellectual tradition in the core curriculum which then has launched these conversations. Now, what is the Catholic intellectual tradition? What does it mean? How does it play out, not only in theology and philosophy, but all the other disciplines on campus? And that's sort of where we're at right now, is having a conversation as how does this play out in the other disciplines? How does the core curriculum inform all the disciplines that we teach on campus? So you have to be intentional about it. You know, the, the history of the churches, we had priests and women religious on campus who sort of naturally created the culture that drove those questions and thinking, and now that they're gone, the laity is left to pick up uh, what is left, and we have to be more intentional because most lay people within the Catholic Church aren't formed in the way that women religious and priests are. So we have to be very intentional about fertilizing and fostering the Catholic culture and the Catholic tradition on a Catholic campus. And we're in Montana, and, and, and Montana's not a, a real strong Catholic state, so most of our employees are not Catholic, and they know we're a Catholic institution, but a lot of them really don't know what that means. So we find ourselves in a process of educating people about what Catholicism is, what does it mean, even outside the context of our university, because there's a bigger story to be told. And uh, helping people understand, once they really, the neat transition I saw in our faculty is they really, once they really understood what the Catholic intellectual tradition meant, they said, wow, this is a pretty liberating tradition when you think about academic pursuits. And and in the end, uh, you know, it, it, uh, the new core curriculum passed by an overwhelming majority of our faculty, and it happened in six months. And I don't know any other campus where that could have happened. It, it was an amazing thing to watch how the Catholic dove in and engaged in the process and ended up with, I, I think, a, a great step forward in our Catholic identity. I'd like to go back to a couple of comments you made earlier. And you talked about the challenge of, as, as the president, upholding and promoting um, Catholic identity at the institution, but at the same time, keeping the doors open. And there are some who will argue today that Catholic identity doesn't sell particularly to high school age students who are looking for a college or university to attend. Um, in fact, they'll say that Catholic identity can act as a detriment. I, I'd say everybody's correct. <laughs> I, I, I think uh, Catholic identity does sell I, in some markets. I think in other markets it doesn't sell. And, and I think you could probably find marketing data to support all positions. I, I think at a very global level, it, it doesn't, it's not that it doesn't sell, 
it doesn't connect. Uh, it doesn't. An 18-year-old, most 18-year-olds coming out, unless they were raised in, in a Catholic family, really don't understand what it means for a Catholic institution to be Catholic. So it's not a message that resonates with them because they don't understand what it means. So you have to figure out how to market that to to a lot of your potential students uh, in a way that they can connect as an 18-year-old in terms of what that means. Uh, I think for the institutions where it does sell, there are some institutions that have very strong uh, Catholic cultures. Most of their faculty and staff and students are all Catholic, and, there, and there's a lot of uh, solidarity around the Catholic identity. Uh, and there's a few institutions in this country that can, because of that reputation they develop, sell and market, and their Catholic identity does sell. For institutions that don't have that historical reputation that are sort of in that middle ground, I think, struggle with how, because, for example, in Montana, there are not a lot of Catholics. Uh, half our students come from Montana. Less than half our students are Catholic. So marketing Catholic identity to students who weren't raised as Catholics, don't know what it means to be Catholic, don't know anything about the Catholic Church other than maybe things that they've heard or misperceptions or outright falsities about the Catholic Church. So I think the way you have to really figure out a way to resonate, because I think one pe once people understand what it's about, you know, it's about ethical, moral, and spiritual formation, those are virtues that most people can embrace and get excited about once they understand what that flame means. You try to light that intellectual flame, and I think getting students excited about that. So you selling it from an ethical leadership perspective, character formation, moral formation, so you're selling Catholic identity without necessarily using the Catholic term. And then when you get them on campus, you know, during freshman orientation courses, you can talk more about what it means to be a Catholic institution. But it's not that it doesn't sell. It just doesn't connect with a lot of students that are out there. Uh, so in some institutions, you know, actually avoid marketing themselves as a Catholic institution. We use we describe ourselves as a Catholic institution in all our liter promotional literature, but the message doesn't dwell on it because it, 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 it's hard for people to understand if they don't know what it means. So, Tony, how does the University of Providence introduce and instill Catholic identity and the church's intellectual tradition within its health science students? Well, one thing to keep in mind is our School of Health Professions is actually a professional school model. It's not a traditional student model. Uh, most of our courses are going to be taught online. The only on-ground courses that that school will be engaged in will be clinical courses. So they're not the traditional 18-year-olds coming for a traditional university experience. And but what we're trying to do is use the same core curriculum for, for example, a bachelor's degree in the School of Health Professions that we use in our school, school of liberal arts and sciences with the, you know, in, in the Catholic intellectual tradition, the core of that tradition is theology and philosophy. Then it expands out to the humanities, then the sciences and, and everything else. So curriculum design is the main, we, we instill that. But for example, we have this RN to BSN program where students come to us on average with already 90 credit hours. And so the question is, okay, what prereqs now do you require of these students before they start the program that deal with these core requirements when they've already got almost two-thirds of their degree done? So what we've done, for example, in that program is we've created a special prereq course. It's an interdisciplinary course that's jointly taught by theology and philosophy that focuses on the Catholic intellectual tradition and gives students an introduction to what that means. It's mainly focused on the ethical principles 
as sort of the common theme through the course, but it, it goes reaches back both into a theological and a philosophical perspective. And the most fundamental question that drives that conversation is what does it mean to be human? What What's human nature? You know, we're more than bundles of biology. There's a sacredness to our nature, and because of that sacredness, you, you derive certain moral responsibilities in how you treat and care for others, including, for example, the idea that human persons are, are you have to respect the sanctity of life from conception to a natural death. You know, that's a fundamental principle, respecting the dignity of the human person. So you have to build those things in. Uh, but you relate them to big questions like what does it mean to be human? What is truth? What is justice? What is what is God? And, and and you try to engage students in these big questions. And once students get engaged, then they really get excited. It it takes good teachers and good courses to build that excitement. But I've seen it happen because these are fundamental questions to being human that every human, I think, once they really get that intellectual flame lit, really want to deal with. So not only do we ask the questions, but we also orient the answers toward the fundamental goal then of all this is orienting your life to live a life that's aimed at virtue, meaning the pursuit of human excellence and all its multi-diverse natures. And so the idea is that living a, lot, a good life and meaningful life is just not about professional success or what uh, Dave Brooks called your resume virtues, but it's the eulogy of your virtues. You know, what does it mean to live a good life and a meaningful life? So when you get to the end, you can look back and say, I did good. And and I think that helping students understand there's more to life than their pursuit of hedonistic goals and pleasures, that there are higher goods that we should orient our life toward. And that's, a, to me, the most fundamental thing that a Catholic education can do. So with all of that in mind, then, bringing this to a, kind of putting a bow around this interview, what do you think distinguishes a healthcare professional who's formed in the Catholic intellectual tradition and spirit, excuse me, the Catholic intellectual and spiritual tradition from one who is not? I, I think it's the fundamental ethical principle there is the definition of the human person, that we are more than bundles of biology and that you have to respect life from conception to a natural death. So when you make healthcare decisions, sometimes there's more than one life involved in the situation, for example, with a, with a, with a pregnant mother, where you have to really understand how those hard, difficult choices are made, whether they have to be made within just a few short seconds in an emergency room, or for example, an ethics panel within a Catholic hospital has time to discern and reason through some of these tough uh, ethical issues. Uh, that you and I have talked about in the past. You know, the, the real, real life is messy, it's gray, and people need an ethical framework for thinking through the, these issues. And I think that's the most important thing that a Catholic healthcare profe pro professional in a Catholic healthcare system needs to understand how to reason and think ethically using these fundamental principles about human nature that the Catholic Church teaches. Technology is giving the ability to really do things that we've never been able to do in the past. And, and in my own opinion, some of these runs counter to what uh, it means, uh, the dignity of a human person. Um, so that, you know, that because of insurance companies, government uh, oversight and other issues, I think there are going to be looming ethical issues for Catholic healthcare systems down the road on how to address these ethical dilemmas that they find themselves in. Any final words of wisdom that you'd like to leave us with? Well, I think you just said it, wisdom. <laughs> I think, you know, what really 
Catholic higher education is about is is helping instill wisdom in people. Um, the, the world isn't black and white. The tough issues are gray, and you need to develop wisdom throughout your life so that when you reach these difficult ethical and moral dilemmas that you have a framework and ethical principle for thinking through these, not necessarily even as an individual, but you know what resources you can tap into, like your national center. Uh, if there are issues you're struggling with, there are resources to help people think through these issues and help clarify your thinking. What bothers me more than anything else is poor thinking. And I think a good education helps people think better and, and actually has some reasons and logic behind their decisions other than just emotion. And that's, to me, the best thing that Catholic higher education to do is help everyone of every faith develop an ethical framework and a moral compass in how to live their life. Tony, thank you for a great interview. Thank you, Joe. It's been a pleasure talking to you, as it always is. For more information on this topic and other bioethical issues, visit our website, ncbcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications, Ethics and Medics, in the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. If you enjoy these podcasts and would like to support them and the National Catholic Bioethics Center as a whole, please click the Donate button on our website. I'm your host, Joe Zalot. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next time.